Hey everybody, Tyler Smith here with another mini-sode, number 47 here. We are continuing our series on the best of pictures. The last one we talked about was Shakespeare in Love, a film that it, we are perfectly okay with winning best picture. Uh, the next one we'll be talking about is The English Patient, a film that, spoilers, we are not okay winning best picture. This week, however, very divisive film. And that is James Cameron's Titanic, which won a bunch of Oscars. I'll tell you now what it won. Picture, director, cinematography, art direction, costumes, sound, editing, sound editing, visual effects, original song, and original dramatic score. It was nominated for Best Lead Actress, Best Supporting Actress, and Best Makeup. So uh, it won much more than it lost. Uh, I believe, shoot, I was going to say, I think it has the record for the number of wins, but I don't think that's true anymore. I think it might actually be Return of the King now, Uh, but I don't remember exactly, because I know Ben-Hur also won a bunch. But anyway, um, so yeah, we'll be talking about that, but first, I will welcome in, because I know he's got opinions about Titanic. I don't know if that's actually true. Uh, My co-host... Josh Long. Josh. Hi. How you doing? Good. All right. It won 11 Oscars, which tied it with Ben-Hur and okay. Return of the King. Those are the three tied for winner, for the most. Really? For some reason, I thought Return of the King won 13. Might have been nominated for 13. That, maybe but. that's it. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, so Titanic won a bunch of things. Okay. I don't have to tell you what Titanic's about. You already know what Titanic's about. Maybe. Yes, I recognize I'm kind of going into a monologue from Network. I don't have to tell you things are bad. You already know things are bad. Um, Everyone, a lot of people at this point have seen Titanic. It was huge up until Avatar. Uh, It was the highest grossing film of all time. Mm -hmm. Obviously not adjusted for inflation, but whatever. Uh, So the thing is this. I was 15 when it came out. And I, oh, sorry, I was 15 and I was also, as I remain, male. Mm -hmm. So I had my opinions about Titanic. Uh, I did not see it immediately, but as the, uh, the girls in my theater department, uh, as more of them went to see it and talk about dreamy Leonardo DiCaprio and, (laughs) and oh, how wonderful this doomed spoilers, doomed romance is, (laughs) uh, the more I started to be like, Okay, I'm not super... I, I tended to have a big uh, envy problem. Well, I, I always have an envy, pro- envy problem, but at the time, certainly, uh, when it came to, like, uh, uh, like teen idols and stuff like that, and Leonardo DiCaprio, like, quickly... Not quickly, because there was Romeo and Juliet, but uh, cemented his, his status as that with Titanic. And so I was upset at that, but also I... I when I finally saw the film, I was like, this is really, really hokey and <laughs> cheesy and obvious and all of these things. And so I think I went in for a number of reasons, some of them personal and others just, I don't know, just anytime you hear a lot about a movie, probably the same thing happened with Avatar, though I feel like by that time I was old enough uh, to go in with a, pr- a fairly open mind. Um, but at that time, certainly not. At that time... Uh, I brought a lot of baggage in all different, all the different genres of baggage. I brought them all, all in with me when I saw the film, and I could admit that, yeah, there's some technical stuff and good for it, but come on. Uh, 
and I have a distinct memory because 97 was also when I was starting to really get into movies uh, as far as movies that were coming out. 95 and 96, was, those were good years for me renting movies and watching older movies and coming to appreciate what film could be. 97 was when I really started to realize, oh, there, there are good movies now, and I'm, I can go see them if I wanted to. And that's when I really started to invest in movies year by year. And I have a d- very distinct memory in January of 1998. We were, in a, we were in the middle of awards season. I was with my dad and grandpa visiting Ozark, Missouri, where we were going to be moving in a few months. And we were checking out locations and house hunting and doing all that. And uh, I remember it was a Sunday night. I was just hanging out. The TV was on and then the Golden Globes were on. And Titanic just swept everything. And I remember quite foolishly, quite foolishly thinking, yes, yes, that's the Golden Globes. When it comes time for the Oscars, though, (laughs) they're not going to be taken in by this spectacle. They will do what we all know they should do and give LA Confidential Best Picture. Look, we all know it. We all know it. Boy, were you disappointed. Uh, Yeah, I was wrong. Mm. Uh, And I'll say this. As time went on, I think I realized, like, "Mm, maybe I'm a little silly in thinking this. And sure enough, when the actual Oscars happened... um, uh, Titanic got two Oscars, and uh, I'm sorry, LA Confidential got two Oscars, and uh, and Titanic got eleven, and um, and I think I was frustrated, but I also that's maybe when I started getting a bit cynical about the Oscars, <laughs> um, but yeah, and so as as time has gone on, though, I've seen Titanic I think twice more, and my feelings about it as a best picture have changed a little bit, but I will put that aside and i will throw it to you i've given my rather sordid history with titanic did you have anything like that when did you first see it i first saw it uh, within the last three years i think is it when we watched it for movie night yeah that was the first time i had ever seen it and i had i had uh yeah i had heard about it up to that point it Mm -hmm. was hard not to um I remember when I was a kid, I was holding a grudge against it because it made more money in the box office than Star Wars, and I was just like, "That's well, that's not fair. Star Wars is cooler," and uh, and it is. But, so we uh, both had our separate grudges: me because it beat tight, it beat L.A. Confidential, and you because it beat Star Wars, right? In different areas, and some girly movie about a boat. Come on, what we want is modern f- film noir and lightsabers. Exactly. Come on, America, get with it. So, uh, man, if LA Confidential had lightsabers, are you kidding oh, me? Oh, man. How, why would you ever stop watching that movie? Exactly. Um, You'd have to quit your job and just put it on a loop. Be just all that. So that was, the only, that was really the only connection I had to it. I don't know if I... I'm trying to think of other James Cameron movies that I was aware of or had seen. I didn't see any of the Terminator movies until I was older, too. Probably in college, I think I saw... Hmm. Terminator 1 and 2. Did he do both of those? 1 and 2? Yep. Okay. And that's a good point, actually. Uh, I was pretty familiar with James Cameron. I had seen both Terminators. I had, I had seen Aliens multiple times. Mm-hmm. And I think I had even seen True Lies at that point. So I was very familiar with him as a director. And I think, certainly at the time, I was a fan. Yeah. Uh, and so I was sort of... I think for a while I was kind of excited about Titanic until I had heard that it was a romance. Yeah. Primarily. Yeah. I think, uh, and 
probably my first experiences with James Cameron must have been because all three of those movies, the the first two Terminators and Aliens, I saw all of those in college for the first time. Hmm. So that would have been my introduction to him. And with that, you, of course, would think of him as a sci-fi action director, mm-hmm. um, which in a way he I saw The Abyss in college, too, Abyss, I think. That's right. I saw that, too, and was disappointed. Which I did not like. I was like, uh, I, I didn't like that movie. So. I don't know. It's weird. I think when uh, I think I don't like it when James Cameron decides that he wants to make a movie that I don't know if he's thinking maybe these have more substance to them. Fascinating, right? Yeah, almost as though he feels like, all right, I'm a re- I'm a serious filmmaker now, so I'm going to make a s- something serious, not realizing that there's tremendous depth to the Terminator series, yeah, um, and even to the Abyss. You well, know, there are strong characters and. You know, maybe not true lies, but Aliens, there's a lot going on. I mean, for Pete's sake, Sigourney Weaver was nominated for Best Actress for Aliens. Yeah. Because there's so much to that character and her relationships. Like, he seems to think that because he was working in in genre... That was less. That yeah. was lesser somehow. And and he is one of those writers that when he's trying to be serious, I feel like gets much worse. When he's when he's not trying to be serious, he's not bad. But when he is trying to be serious, he has actors saying some of the clunkiest obvious lines he has characters drawn in such stereotypical broad strokes yeah when i did my avatar episode you were not yet my co-host <laughs> i was but not. i think you probably agree with almost everything i say uh, about avatar <laughs> i think almost every, everything i hesitate because i remember how extremely negative you were um i apologize i think you used the words it's horrible. <laughs> Avatar is horrible. Yeah. That's the downside of not having a co-host is uh, you just rev yourself up. Although, admittedly, I think, I think if you had been there, I think we could have revved each other up quite a bit about Maybe, because there's a whole lot that I don't like about that movie. And yeah. um, the uh, not to just only talk about James Cameron's career here, but there are some very obvious similarities, I think, between Titanic and Avatar. Mm-hmm. They're both... Very ambitious, very big budget, yeah. uh, very spectacle driven movies yeah. that uh, I think are maligned by uh, very weak scripts. Yeah, I will say that. Um, okay, so let's let's actually get into the the film itself, what we like and what we don't like, and then we'll talk about it in the context of best picture. Although I have a little bit already. Um, yeah, it is worth noting. Okay. Titanic was certainly not the first film in which he was technically ambitious. I mean, mm. he revolutionizes special effects basically every time he makes a movie. The Abyss, for example, and then Terminator 2. Terminator 2 was huge. That's like a yeah. linchpin in, uh, in movie, uh, movie special effects. To the extent that, and even Aliens, which didn't have a lot of computer effects, but as far as practical effects, oh my gosh. I mean, you've got the Queen Alien. You've got all kinds of stuff. And I mean, it's, it's crazy. Um... And what's interesting is you go back and watch Terminator 2, the vast majority of the effects, and I'm only saying the vast majority because I don't want to speak definitively and say all of them, but I feel like those special effects, they hold up today, like to this day. Probably mm-hmm. the same with The Abyss now that I think about mm-hmm. it. Like, it's just, I don't know what it is. I mean, while I think he's a flawed writer, and I'll get into that in a moment, uh, he knows what he's looking for. From a visual sense. Yeah. Um, 
And with Titanic, I mean, he, it, there's a reason that it won all these technical awards from the costumes to the visual effects, because he is very detail oriented. He knows what he wants and what he wants is to bring us into a, into a world. It could be an alien planet or it could be a ship from 1912. He knows what he wants from us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, so Titanic, I'll say this from a spectacle standpoint and creating the ship and the iceberg and like the, just the spec, the, the living spectacle that people must have been in awe of when they got on that ship. That's all there. I mean, and, and as it should be, he really creates a sense of awe that makes you feel like you are a passenger on the ship. And it's mm-hmm. really, I really respect the film for how, how committed he is to really putting us in that mindset of the time and seeming like how amazing, I mean, you know, there were not cruise ships, but there were like ocean liners and stuff at the time, but this was not merely top of the line, but it was the height of luxury. It Mm -hmm. was this amazing thing. And so just imagine seeing that for the first time when you'd never seen anything quite like it, how amazing that would be. And I feel like, uh, you get a, a really strong sense of that. And so I think from a technical standpoint, Titanic is pretty untouchable. Um, and so obviously once the sinking happens, uh, I feel like that's when this, that's when the, honestly, when the script takes a backseat to the spectacle, Mm -hmm. which is when I start getting much more interested. Yeah. And here's the thing. This is a, I'm reluctant to say this because I think that, I think this kind of went away when it came to Avatar, but you know, uh, there's a, a Tom Waits song called San Diego Serenade. And it's basically this guy going through and talking about, I never saw, I never really saw this until I saw this. I never saw the East Coast till I moved to the West. And it's about this idea of not appreciating something until you see the opposite of it. I never saw Titanic until I saw Pearl Harbor. Because <laughs> Pearl Harbor is definitely trying to be Titanic. Much in the same way, I never saw Gladiator until I saw Troy. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyway, both of them are, you know, they're, uh, it's a love story in the midst of this historical tragic event in Pearl Harbor, I have, I think, moral problems with the way Michael Bay stages his action. Mm-hmm. Because these are real people that died. Why are we high-fiving each other that it's so awesome? Whereas, you know, you, you get people walking out of, out of Pearl Harbor and they say, like, oh, man, the attack was awesome. It's like, you shouldn't feel that way. Yeah. You should feel the way that we do about the first 20 minutes of Saving Private Ryan and be like, how horrendous. Mm-hmm. I feel so terrible for those people. But in, as it turns out, you feel like it's a Transformers film. Mm-hmm. Uh Whereas, once the sinking happens in Titanic, yes, we are on the edge of our seat. We're much more interested, but it is always viewed as tragic, I think. I don't know if we are ever... There is one moment where a guy you know, hits the propeller and it's viewed not as funny, but maybe a little cool. But aside from that, I think we have a strong sense of tragedy and the feeling that rich, poor, nobody deserves this. Mm-hmm. And it is, and we see the aftermath of it. We see the bodies floating in the water frozen and how eerie that is. So I think he does a really good job of maintaining the humanity of thousands of people that we are never allowed to, that we've never gotten to know. Yeah. And we really get a sense of how horrible this thing is. And it could have been a moment that 
we've been waiting for the sinking and when it's here we're like awesome spec more spectacle but it's a tragic spectacle and i think uh that is very much to his credit and i don't think i realized it until i saw pearl harbor and realized Mm. oh this is how you can do this very wrong yeah i can see that because it definitely is it definitely there's definitely a weight to that tragedy which Mm -hmm. there easily couldn't be um and that's again like you said the spectacle is kind of where the film is the best so even if that is a sad moment it's or you know even that's if that's not a happy part of the movie if it's not like a cool part of the movie necessarily it's done very uh with, it's done with technical expertise and yeah. there's uh I, I think you can still see that i mean the special effects age and i feel like in a in our time now where they change so much from year to year mm-hmm. uh, they they age a lot more over less time um but I feel like these special effects still look pretty good. Yeah, and I, you know what? I think it's because he, as a director, he came up in practical special effects. Mm-hmm. And so he, I think he understood, well, we can't just do everything CG. Not that I'm opposed to CG, but I think he understood, like Spielberg with Jurassic Park, that like, okay, we can't just do all of it like that. We need practical sets. We need things for the actors to respond to that's right there whether it be in jurassic park like a giant t-rex head or a or a velociraptor or in this giant sets of the titanic itself and some of them you know where it's tilted at an angle when it's supposed to be sinking as opposed to just doing everything with computers Mm -hmm. you watch movies like for example the roland emmerich godzilla which came out a year after titanic so that's another (laughs) again that's that's a year's worth of technical technological advancement hmm. and four years at well, five years after jurassic park exactly was it 90 yeah it was 98 and so you get that but they never have a practical godzilla it's all cg and i don't care how much it's dark and raining all the time to cover the special <laughs> effects uh it looks terrible it doesn't look right maybe it looked good at the time but we have we as an audience have matured out of that and so i feel like anytime you mix real which you can't fake and cg i feel like we're going to buy the cg more because it still has a bearing on reality because we've been uh i don't know we've been we've gotten used to that uh the two of them existing side by side it's you know it's the difference between the star wars prequels and the originals they were practical effects versus like all green screen and cgi and you know it yeah. just it looks fake and too clean and that kind of thing so i think that's why the effects have aged very well mm-hmm. uh so we will move on to maybe some issues with the film it is worth noting so adding this up that's 11 wins three nominations that's to- that's a total of 14 nominations no screenplay though yeah same for avatar no screenplay and i'm glad like i i worry sometimes with things like that that just because it's such a juggernaut in all the other areas are like yeah give it script too yep but they don't for either one of those movies and that shows at least some level of discernment for the academy yeah and that's the thing is you know gladiator was nominated for screenplay and i don't think that's a remarkably strong script that you know i think the academy they want to support their big movies mm-hmm the big like the movies that are going to win everything they want to give them the big awards if mm-hmm. they can but to their credit they may have given titanic a lot of awards many of which i think it deserved 
but they're like, yeah, that script could be better. We're going <laughs> to hold off on that. Well, it should be telling that the audience that you hear most about going to see that movie over and over and over again is 14-year-old girls. Yes. Now, if you are a 14-year-old girl listener, uh, I apologize if that sounded insulting. I'm going to assume that if you are listening to this show, this doesn't apply to you. Probably not, because nowadays, the sort of thing that all 14-year-old girls are going to is the Twilight series. And if you're listening to this... I don't know if you would be a fan of the Twilight series. We may wind up doing an episode about the Twilight series, by the way. Uh, it, it it won't be pretty. Uh, and I have somebody in mind as a guest uh, for that, but uh, we'll see how that goes. It would mean watching all the films. Oh, I saw one of them already. Come I on. know. And that was your, well, wait, it was Jason's fault, wasn't it? Uh, I think it was you, me, Jason, and Adam. But it was Jason's fault. Probably, yes. He had, to wa- he had to watch it for something. He was going to see the second one and had to talk about it or something, so he had to see the first one. Yes, first. that's, that's right. what happened. Ah, uh, yes, that's what it was, because I yeah. think that's when he was doing his podcast. So he wanted to watch it, and I thought, well, let's all get together and watch it and make fun of it. And admittedly, there's a lot to make fun of, uh, but there are some moments, not unlike a certain, like certain episodes of Mystery Science Theater, where after a while, it gets tiresome, because even though the guys are being funny... It's just so exhausting. Yeah. But anyway, uh, moving on from Twilight, that'll be another episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it, it is interesting um, that uh, Titanic star- started to appeal to that group most of all, because there's certainly, an, there's certainly enough there to appeal to a, a larger audience. Yeah, and it wasn't, you know, not to say that that was the only audience who was yeah. interested, but... The one seeing it over and over again. You're right. That is, that's, that's what the, certainly that was the situation with the, the girls that I knew. Yeah. Uh, and again, in my theater department who they're already pretty dramatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I think it's because James Cameron, even when he does, even when he writes things well, like the Terminator or aliens, uh, he still, he still writes in pretty broad strokes. Um, I watched aliens with my wife. And she liked it, but she was also very quick to point out that these characters, while very well played, I think he does, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of heavy lifting on the part of the actors in a Mm -hmm. James Cameron film to elevate his characters. And sometimes they very much do. Uh, But my wife said, you know, these characters are really archetypical or archetypal. I don't know. Like, and that's true. They do seem to gel well as one unit, mm-hmm. as an ensemble, and so you don't really notice it. But boy, oh boy, she's right. I mean, yeah. you've got Hudson, you say, oh, game over. Like, just the, the guy who's four weeks away from getting out, and he's <laughs> just scared all the time. You've got the, the cigar-chomping sergeant. You've got, like, the tough broad and all that. <laughs> and you have all these characters, and you've got the sleazy corporate guy, which incidentally is a it's a... That's a common motif in the uh, James Cameron world. I wrote an article about it uh, many years ago for more than one lesson about the uh, the themes that he explores. Mm, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And so, uh, so yeah, uh, he does write in very broad strokes, and I feel like when the time comes to honor him for his work, that is the weakest point, especially if the cast or just the nature of the story cannot transcend that. And I think Titanic doesn't, I think, you know, the fact that it's this 
tragic love that it has to be a tragic love story it has to be oh the they're different classes and thus it's never going to work it's it's just all of these things that you know that as a high schooler you think love is you know right. you watch you read uh, romeo and julia and think oh how romantic and it's like no it's just a couple of kids that are too dumb <laughs> to realize that not everything is like oh, i can't i literally can't live without this person mm-hmm. like it's it's that mm-hmm. um and little people have pointed out that oh hey there there are neat diagrams you can find online of hey here's all the all the different ways two people could fit on her luggage uh, so that he didn't have to die but of course the story dictates he dies yeah he has to tonally mm-hmm. that's what has to happen and it has to do that also not only because of that segment of the movie but because of the framing device as well which yeah. I think is uh, a lot of people have complained about that, and I, I'm not a fan of that flame that framing device. So yeah, much. it's r- it's really unnecessary. Yeah, it's awkward. And one of the things that baffles me about this movie is uh, now this is not something that's in the movie, but if you go online somewhere is where I found it. There there is an alternate ending to uh to the movie as part of the mm-hmm. the stuff with rose, rose. and uh the bill paxton character and and yeah. some of those people and it's it's so bad that i can't believe that they actually filmed it it's not the it's not what they actually put in the end of the movie but uh they cameron wrote and they shot an alternate ending that is so bad uh maybe it's, tell me what it is i think i actually saw this at some point or or read about it maybe i'm trying to remember all the details i i'm, I'm not going to do it justice if i try and describe it i think what happens in the actual ending i can't remember well i think um it's she she has the what is it the heart of the ocean yeah That's the, and she the throws it into the water she, right she drops it into the water uh and then I think she dies, and then we get this view of her, like, you know, in the spirit world, or just, you know, the, me- okay. the metaphor, or whatever, her walking back onto the Titanic, and, and everybody's there in this, in the, you know, the grand staircase, and there's uh, Jack in, like, a nice, yeah. Uh, is he in a tuxedo, or isn't he his normal clothes? I don't remember exactly, uh, but, you know, uh, welcoming, welcoming it's the, her. The on. vision of heaven yeah. thing, yeah. Right. N- again, never mind. That she did have a husband that she was married to for many years and had children with and was genuinely in love with after the Titanic thing. (laughs) Never mind that. Maybe she was never genuinely in love with him. Maybe not. Again, this speaks to the Romeo and Juliet quality, but anyway. (laughs) But, uh, okay. (laughs) In, In this version, uh, Bill Paxton and who's, who's the woman that I can't think of the actress or the character. Which one? That there's like part of the group that's interviewing. Oh, her. I don't, I don't remember. I didn't, I didn't take the liberty of uh, writing, writing down the cast or <laughs> that that part of the cast. Yeah, um, they come running out and they find her throwing the thing into the ocean. They're like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and she explains to them why it's not important anymore in terms that we should have been able to get. Right. And then I'm, I'm pretty sure, kind of like points to some kind of romance between the two of them that we've never seen in the rest of the movie <laughs> between the old woman and bill paxton no 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 oh, between, between bill paxton and the other girl oh yeah oh yeah but it's like what what that's that has nothing to so do it with the rest of this even movie. james cameron realized look nobody's invested in this uh in this framing device what you you you're watching it and you're like this is one of those things that uh, you would see this in a mystery science theater movie like it's yeah. that bad and 
and I'm thinking to myself, didn't Bill Paxton just turn around and be like, can we not do this? This is, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And, uh, but they, they shot that whole thing. So that, that still baffles me that that exists, that they went to the trouble to create that thing. But you know what? In a world where the line from Blood Diamond in America, it's bling bling, but out here it's bling bang (laughs) where somebody wrote it and left it in. They shot it and Mm -hmm. left it in. They released, they, they did the trailer and worked it into the trailer. Then they released into theaters and it was there the whole time. (laughs) That terrible line was a big selling point for that film. Yeah. You have to acknowledge it. Like, all right, he wrote it. He wrote that alternate ending. They shot it, but at least he had the presence of mind to not do it. I'll, I'll, I got to give him that. You got to give him that. <laughs> now, maybe could it, could he have dropped the whole framing device? Absolutely. Sure could have. No question about it. Why do you think that's in there? Do you think it's to give us an entry point to it because he's worried that Titanic is old-timey and will be too inaccessible for people? I, I do think it allows him to give... Because that's the thing. He, James Cameron was always fascinated with the Titanic. He's mm-hmm. made a, a couple of you know documentaries about the sunk Titanic, which are I- I- admittedly beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but he might also think like, well, this isn't that important to people, so I'm going to need somebody, or at least a few people, in the modern day to give voice to why this is interesting. Mm-hmm. Then we'll show it. Uh, and then also we get the benefit of like, oh, there's this old woman and she's telling us this story and she's got the benefit of hindsight and she, yeah. you know, so there's that. But yeah, I do think that, uh, I w- okay, I will try and say this in the most non-cynical way possible because there are people that are very cynical about James Cameron mm-hmm. uh, and about how he not so much panders to audiences, but he'll include things for the widest to get the widest possible audience um for example here's mayhem and destruction and great visual effects that's for guys here's a romance that's for women uh and young people uh oh and of course it's and the characters are young themselves so that brings teenagers in uh but then also just in case uh, just in case people aren't on board with it, with telling an old timey story, we'll have some of it take place in the modern age where everyone in the modern age is saying, this is important. <laughs> what you're about to see is important just to cover our bases. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it could be that it could be him. Yeah. Not so much underestimating the audience, but just feeling like he needs to guide them into this thing. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, I understand. Yeah. We all have interests that are so interesting to us, but not to anybody else. For example, I just played the demo of uh, the 20th anniversary of Gabriel Knight. Nobody cares except for me, but I still insist everyone hear about it. Uh, <laughs> that demo, by the way, solid. Um, and so, uh, so we all have the things that are interesting to us and maybe not to anybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me ask you this. this is, here's an interesting thing. You made a film about Ultimate Frisbee. Now, admittedly, it's a comedy, mm-hmm. but did you ever feel a desire? And of course, you knew that you weren't playing to the widest possible audience. Yeah, uh, you weren't going to get a worldwide audience. But uh, did you ever feel a desire to have somebody talk about and make? Oh, well, I mean, you do have people talk about what it means to them mm-hmm. playing Ultimate Frisbee. But did you feel? Did that come from a desire uh, to? 
sort of invite the viewing audience in and say, no, this is a big thing. People actually do like this thing. Yeah. Or did you just see it as just ultimately, well, these, we know we need to know what motivates these characters. It was more about what, why those characters are interested in it. But I did, I did initially have, uh, possibly the, um, I had an instinct initially to maybe put in something that explains more about the game, like how it's played. Or I even had the idea of putting together like an old timey type video that Mm -hmm. describes how it's, it's played. And that might've been, around the time that I saw Dodgeball that did the exact same thing. And I was like, oh, oh well, yeah. I won't do that. So um, you actually want to do the opposite of Titanic. You wanted to use an old-timey thing to explain a modern thing <laughs> rather than modern to explain old-timey. More so because it's not really an old-timey sport. It really yes, it, it hasn't been around funny. since the 70s, and I thought it'd be funny to see people playing it in the 50s with pie plates or something like that. Mm. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I left that out because... Partially because it had been done already, but I didn't... That specific... Sorry. What I'm saying is that specific idea of explaining how it's done, I left that out because, uh, you know, it had been done already, but mm-hmm. I left any explanation out altogether because I felt like it wasn't really necessary because I felt like it's more yeah. about these characters and how they interact with each other. And that's what's funny. Yeah. And that's, and of course a comedy. Yes. If you stop to explain everything, then that's death yeah. to it. But, uh, but yeah. And, uh, so yeah, that framing device is problematic and I find myself wondering if he didn't have it, if he just told a straightforward story, would he have gotten that screenplay nomination? I don't think that's the. I don't think that's the only bad part of the script. But I feel like if you have an uh, an academy that is wanting to embrace this film as much as they possibly can, and then they are watching this film, and every once in a while it grinds to a halt to have people explain not just what happened to the boat now that we like in retrospect, now that we know Mm -hmm. not merely that, but also have an older woman explain her motivations. (laughs) Yeah. Both of which are clunky and nobody likes it. Yeah. Despite the nomination for, uh, Gloria Stewart, who does a perfectly fine job. Uh, despite that, uh, I don't think anybody likes that framing device. And so I could see the Academy. If you were to lop that off, and this is just, and then it becomes just a regular period melodrama, not unlike Gone with the Wind, yeah, or Ben Hur, or any of these other things. Yeah. Would they have embraced it more from a screenplay standpoint? It's hard to know. Maybe so, yeah. Because I think that is, I think that is for some reason an instinct that Cameron has is to to explain what his characters are thinking, and I don't I don't know yeah. why exactly that is. I, maybe it's maybe it is some kind of pandering. Maybe it is that he just doesn't have a lot of faith in his audience. I don't know, but. I feel like that tends to happen, especially in his important movies. Yeah, maybe that's the thing, is he he wants you to know how important this is. Because certainly, you know, the relationship between Ripley and Newt and Hicks in Aliens, you never have a moment where Ripley says, I feel like she's like my daughter. I always wanted a daughter. You never have that. Right. You do have a little bit of Newt talking about her family that was lost, but that's relevant to the situation. Because they they died as a result of the aliens. Yeah. Uh, xenomorphs pardon me <laughs> pay attention to that anybody who might come to alpha omega con um but uh but yeah and so um yeah i think in his earlier years he didn't really explain everything i think there was maybe a little bit over a little bit too much explanation in the terminator films but admittedly some complex ideas there mm-hmm. You're, we're dealing with time travel so yeah. okay fair enough but yeah it uh the script is where the film is not good 
Yeah. If the film is not good, it is a function of this of its script. Yeah. And outside of the uh, the complaints with the framing device, the other uh, we already talked about kind of the romance is a little bit simplistic, um, but his social commentary I think is also pretty ham fisted oh, sure. and kind of kind of silly. The whole thing with like the people getting locked under underground and or in the lower levels, yeah, and then. Did that <laughs> happen though? I thought that happened. Well, uh, they don't really they don't really know. Okay. A lot of people don't think so. Um certainly not the way that he presented it in the movie. Yeah. Um but <laughs> there's other there's other like very uh, <laughs> very very uh, sad attempts at trying to um show like race or racism like oh sure i think there's parts where he's trying to show like that here's a here's people of other races and they're relegated to the lower classes or whatever and if you want to make a movie about that great but it (laughs) you could probably find plenty in 1912 yes yeah but it seems like it seems like it's a tacked on afterthought like he needs to say by the way there was racism i didn't forget about racism yeah I've already got the class thing down, but let's not forget. And also just the way that he shows the wealthy by and large, mm-hmm. um, you know, as just not caring at all. I mean, yeah. Exemplified best by the Billy Zane character. Now, mm-hmm. like all of the, all of the, uh, uh, upper class and wealthy people, the elites, they're all seen as just stuff shirts who just can't have a good time. And they can't understand with the exception of Kathy Bates as Molly Brown, Mm-hmm. who because of the way she became rich and all of that she still she's still like a, a commoner at heart right yeah uh, and we do see i'll say this we do see a little bit of um humanity in the francis fisher character which is kate winslet's mom we see a little mm-hmm. bit yeah there but by and large it's Otherwise, all just stuffed shirts who don't care. it's a boat full of margaret dumont's <laughs> oh <laughs> now just make sure margaret dumont is from uh the she was always the the astonished woman in the marx brothers films right yes, yes. oh um because <laughs> titanic is is in in many ways the the marx brothers movie monkey business without the marx brothers and where the boat sinks i never saw monkey business i've only seen duck soup actually sadly margaret dumont is not in uh monkey business i don't think i think oh, Thel- thelma todd's the woman in that one but it's it's a bunch of upper class stuff shirt rich people and the marx brothers go and cause chaos because that's what they that's what they do in those movies but like yeah. <laughs> those same paper thin characters that in marx brothers movies are only set up only a setup for jokes yeah are in titanic as if we're supposed to take them seriously yeah and of course what he does with the elite and the rich and titanic he does with the corporate and the military and avatar and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And yet yeah. somehow he does the same thing with the corporate in aliens. But f- I think by casting comedian Paul Reiser, mm-hmm. I think he diffuses that a little bit again. Like there's something about his, when he's, and maybe he felt like he, maybe he was more okay with diffusing it because, because that was, it was a point. less important film. Right. You know? And so, uh, and also at least, that was a st- corporate greed was established in the first alien. So he, I think it was just continuing that. So that's fine. Um, but yeah. And so there's, you know, there's that, um, I do think that, uh, that the cast does help elevate the script with the exception of Billy Zane, who I don't blame him. He's shown himself to be a good dependable actor and other things, but he's, he's such a villain in this and it wouldn't have been hard to make his character still villainous. 
mm-hmm. villainous, but still like a human being. He's like a, yeah, he's like a cardboard yeah. cutout of a villain. But characters and actors like Kathy Bates as Molly Brown, Fan, uh, Francis Fisher as Kate Winslet's mother, uh, and uh, Bernard Hill as the captain of the, of the boat, and Victor Garber is, I think, one of the designers of the boat. Uh, mm-hmm. They really help lend an, not merely an air of importance, but uh, of the reality of the of the whole situation. Mm-hmm. So I like that a lot. There's a real there's really solid support happening. Uh, this really benefits from a good cast. Whereas I'll be honest, I feel like Avatar does not have that good of a cast. Um, it's got a it's got a couple good people here and there, but nothing like this. Mm. Um, so okay, so Titanic. We're t- you know. Like so many other people, and there have been plenty of internet videos at this point talking about Titanic and how torn you can feel when talking about it, because it is not a good script. It is the broadest possible thing, but you cannot really argue with the technical element. So, Mm -hmm. uh, this has already been going on fairly long, and we've got a movie to start. Which one? (laughs) We don't know yet. Who knows? But, uh, but yeah. So let's let's get into this. It won a bunch of Oscars, eleven, in fact. I'm going to go one by one and say whether or not I'm okay with it, and you can join in too. I know some of the other nominees, but not all of them. So, like best original dramatic score, it is pretty good. James Horner. My vote would probably be for Jerry Goldsmith for *L.A. Confidential* who did a very good job of incorporating the instruments and instrumentation of the time. Hmm. Uh, but the score is still very good. Hmm. Best original song, My Heart Will Go On, sure. Why not? It's that kind of song. Visual yeah. effects, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Sound editing, sure. Editing, sure. Best sound, absolutely. Best costumes, hard to say. Um, you know, when it, good job in recreating the costumes, but that's really all they are. They're not, it's not costume design it's costume execution mm-hmm. because they just had photos and yeah. that sort of thing. The costume designer just had to go from that. I don't know what the other nominees were, um, but it's, you know, it's hard to say, but I'm, I'm sure it was a hard thing to do because I'm costume and art direction are two things where I could see James Cameron really keeping a close eye on those departments to make sure they got all the details down. And so yeah. they probably did. Yeah. And, and so they, good for them. Those, those are the categories that usually tend to go either to the like fantastical world or, or like sci-fi or Tim Burton. Yeah. Or they go to a very rigorous detail of period pieces. Right. And that's the way they want this year. So that's not. Yeah. And I think the, the other, ordinary. Because I think, like, Kundun was also nominated. I think Amistad hmm. was also nominated. All of them historical. A lot of them were period pieces yeah. that year. Yeah. So, um, okay, cinematography. And so begins this idea of when there are shots that are just so CGI, but they're beautiful and well, and they're pulled off well, does that count as cinematography? If there really isn't a camera involved, so to speak, can you nominate it? For example, Avatar won Best Cinematography, and almost every shot was a CGI shot created in computers. Yeah. And so I think the definition of cinematography starts to change right around the time of Titanic, mm-hmm. uh, and it becomes less where the camera is placed and more the eye of the cinematographer, the director, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you, what do you think about that? 
I mean, I, I kind of agree with the people who say that if you're shooting it all on a green screen, it's not really it's not really cinematography in the classic sense that we give Oscars for. You know, there's a there's a there's a certain visual tone that a that a director of photography creates on the set. A director of photography has a lot to do with the lighting on a set, and so if none of that's happening, if you're not doing any kind of lighting, if the tone is going to be decided by the director and editors afterwards, then, I mean, there's a point at which you are the one who hits the record button on the camera. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, <laughs> nobody should get an Oscar for that. Yeah, it's it's rough. I the, mean, certainly Titanic is beautiful. Yeah, and I don't know how much... Uh, it's also a question of how much involvement what exactly the dp does on a sh- on a movie like that because mm-hmm. i don't really know I and mean, it could vary from thing to thing it could be it literally could be if it's all green screen james cameron says put the camera here the you know dp makes sure you can see the actor or whatever the physical subject is that's there and then the rest of it's done afterwards mm-hmm. in which case you as a director of photography have almost no almost no say and no involvement in the movie yeah, you, you sort of wonder if maybe at a, at a certain point is the DP just almost a consultant yeah. more than an actual uh, DP. Or maybe it's the sort of thing where he and maybe for, you know, he and Cameron create the world together and say we want to have this kind of tone, we want to have, you know, this or that. Then mm-hmm. again, knowing as controlling as James Cameron is, I kind of, I kind of am, um, feel unlikely to believe that, uh, uh, I guess I find it I find it hard to believe that uh, he would freely freely share the creative process that much with somebody. Okay, so we okay, so cinematography, I guess I'm mostly okay with it. Um so now we get into best director. Sure. I'm fine with that. It was a good year for directors. Um you know, you had Curtis Hansen, you had uh a favorite of mine, um in this category is Adam Agoyan for The Sweet Hereafter, who I believe was nominated for it. And so, uh, so yeah, but I, I think Titanic is above all a directorial achievement. Um, not unlike, I mean, you and I talked recently about the film Gravity. I think while I didn't love the film, it is a directorial achievement and I have no problem with it winning Best Director. Um, what, do you, uh, what do you think just in general about that? I think I think I mostly agree. Like looking at the the list that we've got here of the other movies uh, that of other notable that movies that year and other movies that were nominated, none of them strikes me as one that's a directorial achievement any more than Titanic. So uh, yeah, I, I don't think I can begrudge it that. Okay, so now we are at Best Picture. Do, do we think it deserves Best Picture? Well, let's look at the other nominees. The other nominees are the Full Monty. Goodwill Hunting, L.A. Confidential, and As Good As It Gets. Now, only one of, of these five, only one is like a big best picture type epic, and that's Titanic. Not that that necessarily means it should win, but let's remove... We've talked in the past about movies that seem like the best picture type. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm always okay with a movie winning that isn't a best picture type. But I will say, having seen all of these movies, have you seen all these movies? I've seen all of them, but the full Monty. And um, I don't, well, you were, you were going to say, I'll let you continue. 
Having seen all these movies myself, I will say I was thrilled that The Full Monty was nominated. Uh, it's a really fun, delightful movie. Um, it's one of those things that came about in the 90s of these independent British films making their way over here and doing well. Um, and I really, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it, it's a film that kind of fell away. Um, but if you haven't seen it, uh, seek it out. It's, it's definitely worth watching. Uh, as good as it gets, I enjoy it. Uh, it didn't deserve any of the Oscars it won, uh, which were best actor and actress, which are, you know, both are fine performances, but come on. Um, and I don't think it deserved to be nominated for picture. It's a fun movie, but come on. Uh, Goodwill Hunting. Sure. It's the, the story of it uh, and the kind of movie that it is uh, is best picture material. Absolutely. So let's include it. Uh, and then we get to L.A. Confidential, which I absolutely believe should have, you know, deserve to be nominated. If I had my druthers, it would have won. Um, it is definitely a film that as it didn't do well at the time. Uh, despite what I, despite my best efforts, I was the film critic on my school paper. I saw an early screening of it. I talked about it right and left to my friends. I wrote about it in the school paper and said, you gotta see this movie. Um, I saw it a few times with my friends, with different friends just to make sure they'd see it. And they always love it. It's a movie that I recommend. I feel like is remarkably accessible while still being very good. Um, so you know, obviously that's what I was rooting for. And I feel like maybe it still should have won, but it's hard to say should, because what does that even mean? Because when it comes right down to it, Titanic is a best picture. It's, you can't say Ben Hur deserves it. Gone with the wind deserves it and not say Titanic deserves it. It's that kind of movie. And it does. And the things that make it big and epic and best picture ish, they're all there, um, including the broad and ill-defined romance. Um, so uh, not to imply that Gone with the Wind has an ill-defined romance. Don't get me wrong. Those characters are very specific. Um, but yeah, uh, so I'm okay. I'm at this point, all these years later, I'm okay with it winning Best Picture. It's the type of movie that wins Best Picture, and you could do far, far worse. For example, the next Best Picture we'll be talking about. Uh, but I've been talking for a while about this. What are your opinions? And we'll get to other movies that came out that year. We'll get to that in a minute. But of these five, what do you think? I kind of agree. I mean, it seems the most, Titanic seems the most like a Best Picture winner. It's funny, you can look down the list and see sort of uh, uh, stereotypes as nominees that you see even nowadays, like the Full Monty is the indie one that they're kind of giving a chance. Uh, L.A. Confidential is the one that's a little bit darker, but maybe, you know, maybe it would work. As good as it gets the is the uh, chance for a known actor to get a big character piece. Um, and uh, honestly, if there was another one that might have one, I feel like it... Uh, I don't know. I was going to say Goodwill Hunting, but that's got a little bit of an edge to it too. That seems maybe a little too, uh, maybe a little too indie. Um, so yeah, I, I, Titanic seems like a Best Picture winner, and especially aside these these movies. I guess the more interesting question is if it were stacked up against some some other good best picture winners from around that time winners or nominees would it still have won that might be a different question yeah you know it's interesting uh i will as i always do 
relate this to Survivor. Uh, I don't relate this to Survivor, but at this point, I relate almost everything to it. Uh, And one thing that happens is people talk about, well, who are the best players of Survivor ever? And people say, like, well, theoretically, it's the winners. It's everybody that has won. But you have to stack that. You can't stack them up necessarily against each other. You just have to go against... It's like, all right, this person won, but look at the people they were against. They were a bunch of morons. You know, so I can't really say that they're the best. Whereas look at this person. This person won, and he had like six people that easily could have won in front of him that he got rid of. So he does, he's a better player because he was better able to manipulate and that kind of thing. And so, uh, so I feel like that's sort of what you have to do with this. Did Titanic deserve to win Best Picture? Well, if we're thinking in, in terms of all the best pictures and we're thinking about No Country for Old Men and we're thinking about, gosh, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I can't even really think of ones that I really can get behind. Maybe if you even go other epics like a Lawrence of Arabia or something like that. Absolutely. And like best picture, you know, uh, epics, the one best picture like Lawrence Arabia or David Lean movies in general. Um, if you look at it like that, it's like, well, you know, it, it comes up short. But looking at this five aside from L.A. Confidential, absolutely, absolutely deserve to win. So now the question is, what other movies from 1997 could have been up for best picture and could have given it a run for its money? Oddly enough... When I look at the list of other notable 97 releases, now, of course, I'm just looking at sort of a a simplified list based on what I've seen, but also just things that I know about. I happen to have seen everything on this list. You know, you've got movies like Sweet Hereafter, The Apostle, Wag the Dog, Jackie Brown, Amistad, uh, Gattaca, Four Little Girls, which is a documentary, uh, Donnie Brasco, Yulee's Gold. You have these films that in some ways are best picture material, certainly just as much as full Monty or as good as it gets, but movies like the apostle, which I love, you know, Reed lackey and I talked about it on the show a few weeks ago. You look at that. It's a great movie that can be boiled down primarily to a wonderful performance, which it was nominated for and should have won. And Jack Nicholson should not have. So when you look at that, but when you look at, again, what we're talking about, what is a best picture? When you look at it from that, from that standpoint, there's not a lot of these other possibilities that really stand out, with the exception of The Sweet Hereafter. I think The Sweet Hereafter was nominated for Best uh, Director and I think Adapted Screenplay. Uh, it is, I think, a wonderful, haunting film with an ensemble cast that is talking about larger things. Um, and I, I think it's a beautiful film that if it had been nominated for P- Best Picture instead of, you know, As Good As It Gets or something like that, then I would say, okay, now we've got a race. Now we, in my, just in my own heart, now we have a race because I love Sweet Hereafter, I love Ellie Confidential, and I respect aspects of Titanic. And so, I don't know, that, that to me is the only one that really jumps out. And I'm a huge fan of Jackie Brown, uh, but I feel like that's a writer and actor's movie, not necessarily, it certainly is not a, an Inglorious Bastards or Django Unchained or something like that. Um, I don't know, what, what do you think, just going like from this list and maybe other things you might remember from 1997? I can't really remember off the top of my head what else came out in 1997, but even looking at the list, I'm... I don't. I don't think I'd pick any of these above it. I wouldn't be surprised if, say, the Sweet Hereafter had gotten a nomination instead of Full Monty and taken that 
uh, non-American but still English-speaking independent movie slot. Um, but yeah, a lot of these other ones, a lot of these other ones have aspects that I really like about it. Like I think Wag the Dog has a great script. Um, Sweet Herbert has some great performances, and that's that's a pretty good script too. The Apostle obviously has the the you know Robert Duvall's performance. Um, Gattaca is a movie that if it had come out in, in a different year probably would have gotten more recognition for uh, uh, some of the world building stuff costume and, and uh, production design but up against something like Titanic just doesn't happen so yeah I, none of these none of these stand out as, as a movie that there, there's none of these that I think afterwards as much as people may not like Titanic for one reason or another I don't think there's any of these that people go it definitely should have been X, Y, or Z Except Amistad. Now that I look at that list, uh, that is a Spielberg film. It was a period film. There was a big boat involved. Uh, it has to do with prejudice. It has, it's based on a true story. Many of it, it, it shares a lot with Titanic. Uh, but I think people view it as somehow a lesser Spielberg work. People don't think about it really these days. Um, not unlike 93, in which he released a Jurassic Park film, and then his Best Picture winner. In 97, he released the Jurassic Park sequel and Amistad. Um, and it had that kind of, it had that quality all over it, and yet somehow it didn't get a huge uh, swell of support from the Oscars. Um, but that does seem like Best Picture material, and so it's interesting that it wasn't really, it didn't really get that support, almost as if they're set, almost as if the Academy said, okay, we're going to go one or the other, and uh, Spielberg had his moment, so we'll go with this guy over here. Um, but yeah, so, you know, 97 is an interesting year. It's a, I think it's a good movie year, but more for movies that have amazing aspects to them than are the, the complete picture themselves. Uh, but that just might, might just be my opinion. Uh, so we've been going for about an hour, so this is certainly not a minisode anymore. So we need to move on. Uh, and so I will say, uh, we don't know what we're going to be talking about next week. We're going to try and do a full episode. But in two weeks, we will be talking about the much maligned by Josh and, yes, me, um, The English Patient, directed by Anthony Minghella, winner of Best Picture for 1996. And uh, that is a film that, it, again, that does a lot of what we're talking about. It seems like a Best Picture winner, and thus the Academy seemed all too willing to just do that uh, in the face of some pretty great competition. So we'll be talking about that. We've already kind of uh, spoiled it, but we've spoiled it in past episodes, so you know this is coming. Uh, but yeah, in the meantime, if you have any thoughts about Titanic or any of these other films, uh, you're welcome to leave a, a message, uh, sorry, leave like a comment in the article on morethanonelesson.com. You can also email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com or Josh, Josh at morethanonelesson.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook and all of that. So uh, I think that is it. Thank you all for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye.